Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. Progress Texas Happy Hour. I'm Progress Texas Executive Director Kathleen Thompson. I'm Progress Texas Digital Director Sam Gonzalez. I'm Progress Texas Podcasting Director Chris Mosier. I'm Progress Texas Operations Manager Stevie Hallett. I'm Progress Texas Podcast Contributor Joe Desseltel. I'm Progress Texas Advocacy Fellow Tatum Owens. And I'm Progress Texas Digital Intern Haley Smith. It's been a wild, wild year in Texas politics. And as generally the case lately for Texas progressives, there's been more bad news than good. But for those of us who are dedicated to the cause, we're drawing our motivation from the best and renewed determination from our worst. So every year, Progress Texas releases our top 10 best and worst Texans of the year. In a year when draconian new restrictions on abortion personally affected a broad variety of our state's residents. Our power grid remained as shaky and unreliable as ever. Our legislators set new records for bills attacking our LGBTQ plus community. Our governor orchestrated a gaudy theatrical production at the border, including the shockingly inhumane treatment of vulnerable migrant families, and also kept Texas lawmakers in Austin for almost the entire year in a failed attempt to drain away precious public school dollars to satisfy his wealthy backers and their push for private school vouchers. There was certainly no shortage of villains in Texas politics this year, nor any shortage of strong progressive fighters to counter them in an uphill but must win battle. The good news is the worse our worst Texans behave, the more backlash from the public they generate in opposition to their horrible ideas and behavior. And the harder the fight for our progressive standard bearers, the more inspired we all become. So... We've brought the whole Progress Texas staff together to dig into all 10. Joe, take it away with the top five worst Texans of 2023. Okay, well, we'll start with Ted Cruz. So, you know, what can be said about Ted Cruz that hasn't been said about COVID-19? I mean, he's harmful to Texans, and every time I think about him, he makes me want to take a shot. Um, Ted Cruz uh, made the rounds this year. He's promoting his new book. You probably heard of it. It's a real snoozer. It's called Unwoke, uh, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. Well, Ted, there's another culture war that's uh, fought by the greatest generation, and it's called Nazism. And, uh, you know, the same Texas billionaires whose organization gave white supremacist and Holocaust denier Nick Fuentes a platform also gave $15 million to Super PAC supporting Ted Cruz for president. And Ted Cruz recently told the Texas Tribune he plans to run for president again one day. But for now, we know he's running for re-election. And yes, that will be his third term. And this is the same guy who filed a bill this year limiting senators to two terms. Come on, Ted. (laughs) Come on, Ted. I mean, hypocrisy is sort of his thing, right? He's also the one who's against uh, calling anybody by their preferred names. But he goes by Ted, which is, you may know, not his uh, legal first name. So uh, he's really got a thing going about hypocrisy. It's very on brand. Yeah, Rafael Eduardo Cruz. It's Edward, but I I like saying Eduardo because it's just, (laughs) that's his name. All right. Stop lying to people. Get off a podcast and stop being such a jerk all the time. I can't use the words I want to use on this podcast, so I'm not. Um, but you know the words. You, you know, you, you think about them in the in the lower recesses of your mind, the words I have for Ted Cruz. Think about them. Yep, those are the ones. On to you. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure there's nothing that we could say on this podcast that people haven't already said about Ted Cruz and I've been saying about Ted Cruz for years. And I think that's just so indicative of how... I mean, nobody likes this guy. I mean, he's in office because he supports these Republican nebulous values, if you want to call them that. But I mean, he's just the worst and nobody likes him. So can we please get rid of him? 
Yeah, as Haley says, we all uh, have uh, agreed on how gross the guy is. Um, but from a practical standpoint, we need that seat. We need to defeat him. Uh, right now, as a matter of fact, just as you know, one of a million different things, different reasons for that, uh, the president of Ukraine, uh, Zelensky, is in D.C. right now pleading for the U.S. to continue to support his war against Russia. And uh, Cruz is part of the Republican Party that's holding that very important aid up over just goofy border stuff that they want to do. And so uh, just from a practical standpoint, we all know we can't stand the guy, but he's just one piece of us taking our country back in the U.S. Senate. Yeah. And we know that this guy doesn't have the interests of everyday Texans in mind either. Um, what motivates him is what he said at 18. He wants to take over the world, world domination. He wants to be rich, powerful. And we've seen that in so many areas of policy that he's taken up on. So um, gun reform, he doesn't like it. He won't do anything about it. He basically turns his face away because he gets that, what is it, 176000 something in contributions from the NRA and he just doesn't want to advocate for anything that his constituents are actually asking him to take on because he's just there for the money. Listeners, uh, we'll ask you to go to our website, Humans Against Ted Cruz, and get involved and get the facts on Ted Cruz. Um, maybe share a story and get a sticker. This is a winnable race. And I'd like to remind you that... Um, you know, people just don't like Ted Cruz. It was his own friends who turned his texts about Cancun over to the New York Times. Yeah. So this this is a winnable race. Joe Manchin not running again uh, makes winning the Senate so important. And this seat is a, a race that across the country people are watching because this is a race that can be picked up for Democrats. Very good. Uh, so that brings us to number four on our list, Kathy Banks. As someone who lives in College Station and graduated from UT Austin, I feel pretty acutely aware of the impact that the Texas Ledge had on college campuses regarding DEI practices. So earlier this year, Kathy Banks, previous president of Texas A&M, she has since resigned, purposely thwarted the public hiring of Kathleen McElroy. Kathleen McElroy was an esteemed, is an esteemed uh, journalism professor, previous editor of the New York Times, and was supposed to join uh, Texas A&M as a tenured professor. Um, but because of Kathy Banks and others involved, she had her offer of tenure retracted due to concerns over her race and previous work. So students and faculty lost out. This was embarrassing for A&M and fully representative of how much we need DEI practices in place to protect and enhance public university education. And Texas A&M was not the only instance in which this happened either. Um, we've seen other universities impacted by SB 17, like UT Austin, UNT, and the University of Houston. And we'll continue to see um, public universities impacted by this and attacked upon. Texas A&M can pay me a million dollars to not come to Texas A&M. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. If they're um, giving out million dollars to not come to their, their university after their big mess ups. But yeah, like you're saying, Tatum, it's embarrassing for the university. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a major mess up and Kathy Banks is very deserving of our number four spot. In terms of DEI and diversity and, and sort of racism, I'm, I'm 
you know, paying a hundred million dollars not to go does seem pretty racist because I think they just fired their football coach and had to pay him like twenty million dollars not to Jimbo. come. Jimbo, yeah, right. Yeah, it seems like uh, A&M's just light money on fire this year. <laughs> um, I know we put Kathy Banks on the list as as you know the person exemplifying this, but uh, universities all over Texas, this is a this is a problem. I know there's a real battle going on between the faculty who care about the students and want to make education available to as many students as possible and work for as many students as possible, and the administrations that they're having to deal with and the laws that they're having to contend with. Um, so I think she's just the face right now of yep. some terrible things that are going on in, in higher ed in Texas, and it's going to affect the whole state. People are going to stop coming here. <laughs> Yeah. We're going to lose a lot of good students. Yeah. The thing, I, I'm actually just trying to Google it right now because I don't have the exact same uh, inverse of this, but like DEI, diversity, equity, some people say equality and inclusion. If you don't want that, then you want the opposite in essence, which is singularity, um, <laughs> prejudice, and oh, that's the thing. what's inclusion, uh, exclusion. So yeah. it's like, is that what you want in your university? Because if that's the case, yes. not only are you restricting, obviously, just your own single university, but you're making all Texas universities look like places that should not take scholars in. You need diversity to have a diverse education. So if you're going to hinder colleges in the state of Texas and and uh, keep that out of state money and the people in state money in state from students wanting to go to university, um, you're doing the right thing by just ruining everything. If you want to keep people from spending their money, so um, yeah, I'm, we we talk about education a lot this episode, but this is just one of the things where they're thinking so short sightedly about this because they want to win woke points or whatever. Yeah. But you're ruining Texas universities, things that have stood for you know some of them hundreds of years or you know almost hundred years. Um, it, it upsets me. You, you guys know the drill. Yeah, I'm all for education, and they're ruining it. Like you said, diversity, equity, and inclusion practices are so important to the education process, especially in higher level education. And so it makes you wonder, like, what kind of education do they want? It's obviously not the kind that educates you. So what are they looking to teach people? And yeah. obviously it's not the truth. And we see that in so many facets of the Republican Party and seeing that seep into higher education is so disappointing. You know, to wrap, I agree with what all you guys have said. Uh, it's it's part of an overall, probably unintended backlash, I would think, at this point from Republican overreach, in which, you know, we see something parallel in our abortion laws where they just, you know, ham-handedly decided to impose their ideology on the entire state without thinking about what the blowback or what the repercussions of that would possibly be. You know, in the case of, uh, of Kathy Banks and A&M, it's just like we're talking about. It's one more piece of an overall brain drain that we're going to be seeing in Texas. It becomes part of our, it impacts our cultural fabric in such a way where, you know, does a tech startup want to come to a state where the state's highest you know, level of education is, is deliberately excluding people? I mean, you know, I don't want to go to a place like that if I'm, if I'm involved in tech or anything that has anything to do with the future, because that shouldn't be the future. And Chris, you're talking about people coming inward, like into Texas, but we have to think about the implications that Texas has on other states or one of the largest states sure. in the U.S., especially in terms of education. Like A&M is the top ranking university for enrollment in the U.S. And so there are severe consequences to seeing major public universities in Texas, public IVs um, at that, banning DEI practices and making sure that these spaces on public campuses are being removed and students are being attacked because of students and faculty are being attacked because of it. Right. 
Very good. Yes, and with all this talk of education, I think it's so fitting to have him at number three. Uh, Mike Morath, destroyer of public schools. If you're from the Houston area, he needs no introduction. But for those who you are not aware, Mike Morath was the Texas or is the Texas Commissioner of Education appointed by our number two spot. No spoilers yet. Uh, But he's the face (laughs) of the HISD state takeover. Um, Since then, he's threatened the closure of more schools by implementing criteria on how schools are rated, but did so after the testing was done, producing worse results and more closures. Um, He's destroyed the lives of millions of students and teachers whose livelihoods and education were stolen. Again, being from the Houston area, destruction that this guy has caused and the amount of consequences this guy has created for already at risk and struggling students is so heartbreaking. I mean, I'm very passionate about public education and seeing our most vulnerable sector of kids um, being taken advantage of for these kind of politics is heartbreaking. Number three is not enough for this guy. He is being sued by more than seven districts, which is great. I mean, he deserves everything coming to him, but it doesn't feel like enough for the amount of damage he's caused. Absolutely. And this is yet another example of, uh, of just kind of ham-handed overreach by the, the, our Republican overlords, as it were. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. You know, there's just been a big uh, runoff election in Houston, and it's going to be interesting to see how the new city administration handles this. You know, they don't have uh, specific direct control over the over AHISD, you know, because of the, the state takeover. Uh, but there probably are things that they can do to help support the kids and the teachers of that district, you know, while that situation sorts itself out. And and like Haley mentioned, there's a lot of legal action about that. So we'll see what happens. But we wish all our friends in Houston the best on that. What I want to say about Mike Morath is that he's sort of Texas's version of Betsy DeVos. Remember her? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. And oh, my God. while uh, the, the HISD takeover has been in the news and threats about Austin ISD, um, yeah. Don't forget that um, he's a big proponent of the star testing that costs our state hundreds of millions of dollars every year. And uh, just a couple years ago, Texas signed a four-year contract totaling almost $400 million to um, develop and administer the star test and um, the mental and logistical strain of the high-stakes testing on one day of you know one school year. That the toll that takes on teachers and students is um, such a such a waste. And like Stevie was saying earlier about setting money on fire, uh, that's what I think of um, the Texas Education Agency and Mike Morath doing with Texans' hard-earned dollars. Yeah, I think the irony is that they are trying to put all of these benchmarks in place for public schools. Meanwhile, they also want to do vouchers uh, where there are zero checks or balances on the schools that they will be getting that money. Um, And so that just kind of shows what their true intentions are, which are just to hurt Texas public schools and and defund them. And really, it goes against everything that they preach about small government and and things like that and independence and uh, people making their own choices in their own communities. So, yeah. And I think this is just so typical of Republicans writ large, which is that they run on oh, well, government doesn't work and public institutions are failing. And then they get elected and make sure that those things fail. That's their whole MO. Um, And they're like, and then they break it. They're like, see, it's broken. You should elect me again Um, because I said it was broken. Uh, Don't, you know, ignore the fact that I'm the one who messed it up. Um, And it's just, 
it's, they've done this year after year after year and institution after institution and, and public education is just where they're taking a swing right now. And, and talking about public education, um, other than Mike Murat, there's been only one other person that has attacked public schools more, which is strange because Mike Murat made a whole year out of it. But at number two, our last year's reigning champion of yeah. the worst of the worst Texans of 2022, knocked down to number two. 2022 seems so long ago. But yes, 2022's worst Texan, now number two for 2023. A lot of twos in there. Talking about Governor Greg Abbott. This guy has had a terrible year, not only causing a terrible year, but also in terms of his victories in the legislature. And I mean, all, was it five total sessions trying to push voucher scams here uh, on our public schools, which is taking public funds, putting them into a voucher program that gives people these lump sums of money that will inevitably go towards a private school that will inevitably raise their rates because all of a sudden everybody has $8,000 more in their pockets. It's a scam that we've all seen coming and he's tried to pass time and time again. And luckily this year, he's not been successful. Now, that's not the only thing that's been bad about his year. He decided to take this really excruciatingly cruel turn at the border. We're talking uh, buoys with razor uh, blades and wire on them, razor wire against other bordered states. Not talking about Mexico, talking about like other states in the United States, New Mexico, right? Operation Lone Star is, you're talking about burning money, billions of dollars, B, 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 billions of dollars going to a pretty much ineffective program that doesn't stop anything, but he gets to wear a cowboy hat and go to the border and act Mr. Tough Guy. That is the epitome of Greg Greg Abbott, is that he is this pretend tough guy who thinks he's going to strong arm his way around and say, I'm going to have it this way, I'm going to have it that way. And even with a Republican government, he still can't get his way because what he wants is so out of left field, is so for these high-value, high-dollar donors that even regular GOP legislators can't even relate to it. He's so far off the deep end. And the fact that there is a number one above him this year is mind boggling. We'll get to number one in a bit. But what do you all think about uh, good old Greg Abbott? In a weird way, when I think about his voucher scam, it kind of warms my heart a little bit because (laughs) like you said, he's had five sessions to pass this. And each and every time we've been there to stop him. And in a state, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here, in a state where it seems like Republicans and conservatives have a monopoly on politics, it's a nice little reminder that progressives do have power in this state, even when we are in um, a political minority. And we do have a responsibility to stop these things. The fight is never over, but it's nice when we don't keep hitting a brick wall over and over again. So stopping the voucher scam is it's a good win for us, I think. I'm rather, uh, I agree, Haley, and I'm rather entertained by what seems to be the next step in the voucher fight for Greg Abbott, which is to uh, support primary challengers for any of the Republican lawmakers who dared to defy him. And uh, I I feel like those, uh, not only those uh, sitting lawmakers, but also the people who are you know voting for them, their constituents back home are going to see through this. I mean, Greg Abbott is not going to be uh, promoting primary challengers because they're terrific candidates or because they'd make terrific law makers. He's doing it completely 100% out of spite uh, over the sitting incumbent lawmaker having followed the the wishes of their constituents to begin with. It makes no sense. 
It's going to be really fun. As Haley said, it was really fun to watch Greg fall on his face after session or special session four there. Uh, I think he, I think we may have, have even more of that. We may have some more entertaining falling on the face of Greg Abbott, uh, you know, as the election goes on next year. What I have to say about Greg Abbott is something that I've said on one of the pods before. Um, I had a theory that he's auditioning for two people, Sean Hannity and Donald Trump. I think yeah. that um, Greg Abbott wanted to be president, but of course yeah. can't break 5% um, at the CPAC convention that's held in his own state. So he's auditioning to be LBJ to Trump's JFK. I think I'll break from the pack and say something uh, I really appreciate about Greg Abbott, and that's that uh, okay. he was able to bring Democrats and Republicans together in a way we haven't seen in a very long time. And, um, you know, I, I we, we've talked, of course, on this podcast with, um, you know, uh, Senator Sarah Eckhart and, and Representative James Tallarico, who's been a really great voice on this in terms of his the, the way he messages this and the way the House has managed to keep rural Republicans um in line with them and uh, and strong. So, yeah, I agree with Chris. It's going to be interesting primary season. Uh, hopefully they'll be, you know, having them turn their guns on themselves uh, as, in, in a way from uh, Democrats and, and burn some of that money on, on their own uh, spiteful adventures is going to be great to watch. Right on. Um, and, you know, look, look forward to more of that and, and you know, uh, more wins for for progressives in the state. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, it's it's nice to see uh, lefty urban Democrats like me and rural Republicans coming together over something. That's not something you see all the time. But this whole thing has been just so frustrating because um, he's just throwing a tantrum. He's like a toddler who isn't getting his way and everyone keeps telling him no, 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 no. And he's just going to keep screaming about it and holding everyone hostage like a two-year-old screaming in a restaurant holding everybody's dinner hostage. It's <laughs> all he's got. He doesn't have anything else. <laughs> Okay, folks, are you ready for the number one worst uh, Texan of 2023? That would be Ken Paxton, our top cop and our top criminal. Do you know how bad you have to be, like the worst of the worst, to take the spot ahead of Greg Abbott and Ted Cruz? We all watched the spectacle of his impeachment trial, which uh, left progressives like us disappointed, but not surprised because the fix was in from the start. Um, we all know that in the People's Court and the um, Court of Public Opinion that he was guilty of abusive office and bribery and what a bad year it was for Ken Paxton to take our number one spot again ahead of Ted Cruz and Greg Abbott. Yeah, I've, I've never really been a big believer of sort of like the gateway crime theory, but, um, you know, we all saw him steal that pin on the camera like 10 That's years right. ago. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And he's really graduated and he's really come a long way. Um, you know, what we've seen out of out of him over these last few years is quite impressive. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think he, he deserves a lot more awards and um, will possibly uh, jail time. But we'll we'll see. We'll see what's in uh, his, his, I'm sure, very bright future. Maybe Dancing with the Stars. Who knows? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> well, Ted Cruz did it. I mean, we could see. <sighs> yeah, I mean, all that all that PAC money saved him uh, in his Senate trial, but uh, it's it's not going to help him with the Fed. So uh, I'm I'm very much looking forward to to seeing uh, what comes to him in 2024. Uh, hopefully, he'll have a, a worse year than uh, he inflicted on us this year. Yeah, um, there's one word I would describe. Uh, 
Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. Um, we, we're, we're allowed to cuss on this podcast. We just do so sparingly. But I'm going to use mine. Chicken shit. I hate this guy. <laughs> I mean, and, and yeah. we, we try not to throw hate around, too. But I am new to politics, I've said. I mean, I've been here a couple years now. And one of the first things or end of the year things that we did last year uh, in terms of just political coverage was the fact that he fled a subpoena and then had his wife drive the getaway car. And then this year, it's like, oh, and he also had an alleged uh, affair on said woman. Yeah. So it's like, wait a minute. Not, not, so you're having her drive your getaway cars and then also cheating on her? Like, yeah. I, if you guys have an agreement, sure. But like... Other than that, it didn't sound like it was the case. And to yeah. do all of the things uh, aforementioned and will be mentioned in the future in the, in this segment, how could you not say he's just plain old chicken shit? I think that's a pretty accurate theme to describe him. Um, like you said, a lot of other words could also fit, but we can <laughs> stick with that one for now. Um, Ken Paxton, I mean, the worst of the worst. Something I think that it's really, um, really stands out to me about Ken Paxton um, is his insistence on harming trans youth in the state of Texas and a group that's already so um, marginalized and uh, suppressed and oppressed in the state of Texas and denying them life-saving medical care. Um, he hunted the families of transgender children. And I can say from personal experience, I have a brother who's trans actually, and we've been investigated by Child Protective Services from our high school oh, wow. uh, because of it. And it's it's... It's horrifying. I mean, there's no other word for it. And um, the passing of legislation that makes it harder for young children to gain access to, again, life-saving medical care uh, by this corrupt criminal whose crimes can be seen on his forehead. I mean, he doesn't hide them anymore. All I can think about is how this power could be wielded by somebody who genuinely cares about the lives of Texans and how important it is for his position in positions like this to be filled by people who care about Texans. Yeah. I, I, I hate hearing uh, about your family having to go through that Haley. And I know that uh, there are now so many families and I know we're, this is kind of a light conversation, but, uh, and, and we definitely have a lot of fun making fun of Ted Cruz. He's just a little easier to poke fun at. Uh, but Ken Paxton, especially just lately has directly, directly, harmed Texans in really, really tangible ways, uh, yeah. especially most recently with the big threat that he issued against uh, any medical folks that might be in a position to help out Kate Cox uh, at that point. Just just really egregious and really points to uh, the absolute uh, hypocrisy when it comes to any kind of you know medical exemption for, for abortion that might have ever been intended in Texas state law. I mean, Ken Paxton laid it bare that it really is about absolute control over Texas women and pregnant people. So uh, I do hope that uh, kind of in the same way we've been talking about with the, the overreach we've seen uh, from Greg Abbott and others, that there might be some kind of a turning point. I have a hard time believing that there are enough truly awful people in this state that he'd be able to maintain, you know, a, a, a winnable degree of electoral popularity. You know, there's got to be people at this point that are figuring out this guy's terrible and we're not going to be like this anymore. It's crazy to think that he's the attorney general. Like, he it, he really does control the law of the land. And I think that it just stands in direct conflict with the image that we all have of him, which is that he's, like, the top criminal of Texas this year. Um, 
and money rules it for him Money rules in texas uh he took bribes we know this even though he was acquitted the people's court knows that he's guilty of taking bribes for twenty thousand dollars worth of countertop materials for renovating his home like it doesn't it's absurd to think that he can get away with it and it's very disappointing chris i agree hopefully texans will stand up and say like no i'm not gonna accept this from this guy no way he is the attorney general anymore. Um, face of corruption that he is, Paxton might have been acquitted, but we know better. We know he's guilty. His own staff members know he's guilty. His wife, we remember seeing her at the trial. That was sad. We don't need him anymore. Let's get him out. As we wrap up um, Ken Paxton's um, saga here, um, just a reminder that the impeachment, his impeachment acquittal win doesn't end his legal troubles. Uh, he faces a felony fraud case and an FBI investigation, and I don't think there's going to be... There won't be a $3 million bribe. The fix won't be in this time for federal targets. And we'll take a quick break and be back with the top five best Texans of 2023 as submitted by you, the Progress Texas Reader. The Progress Texas 2023 annual report is out now. We share our impact on an historic election turnout, the fights for reproductive justice and climate advocacy, and for you listeners, our expanding podcast network. Other highlights include a mention of frozen toes, thanks Abbott, Republicans failing, and of course, progressive wins. Check it out, share it, and consider an end-of-year gift to Progress Texas. Every dollar supports our peerless work, and thanks for all you do to push progress forward in Texas. Okay, now we get to go to the fun stuff, uh, best Texans of the year. Uh, we're going to start with number five, um, Representative Retta Bowers from HD113. Um, she introduced the Crown Act, or reintroduced, I should say, the Crown Act um, this year. And the Crown Act stands for Creating a Respectful and Open World for Natural Hair. Um, this bill was originally introduced in 2021 and uh, didn't make it through, but she reintroduced it this year. And it was signed into law. Um, and went into effect September 1st, and it outlaws discrimination based upon ethnic and cultural hairstyles um, in the state of Texas. That's a big win. We don't get see a lot of, um, you know, civil rights legislative wins uh, in the Texas legislature. So this was a good one. Um, and I know we had her on the podcast earlier this year. It was a great conversation. And I know this, this affects so many, um, so many Texans in a very real way, um, their day-to-day -day lives at work and at school. So, um, that one felt good during the legislative session this year. And on that podcast, I had mentioned that this was t a layup of a policy, you know, hair discrimination. It's 2023. Why has this not been a thing? And now it's a thing here in the state of Texas. And then there's still a, uh, a young man in high school that's missed most of his year because he's wearing his hair a certain style and because they just want to discipline this person. And it's like, what are we, what are we doing here? But, at the very least, this begins the conversation of now do we need a national crown act? And if we can make it national where everybody can wear whatever hairstyle they want, then we're going to be in a good spot because discrimination against hair, as silly or as not important as it may seem to some even listening now, it's like, oh, it's just hair. When somebody's in that position with their natural hair or with a certain ethnic hairstyle, it's a big deal. Because it's a, it's a part of your culture, it's a part of yourself that's getting repressed over what? You might offend somebody, you might, uh, I, how do you get offended by hair? I don't know. Yeah, Sam, and like you said, it, to some it may seem like frivolous or unimportant, but I think it's 
so important that people are able to express themselves or just be authentically themselves in their place of school or their place of work, especially when the only obstacle to that is racism. I mean, why would we be barring people from wearing their hair how it naturally grows out of their head if not to be racist? And so I think a law protecting them and protecting their hair is, again, seems frivolous, but is so, so important. It is interesting that... uh... The reason that Barbers Hill ISD provides for having continued to uh, keep Daryl George in suspension is because of the length of his hair. It's not so much about the style of his hair necessarily, but they it's it's totally one of those technicalities. It's it's a it's a ridiculous little technicality that right in the face of statewide legislation that has been designed to end this conversation that this one ISD is picking on this one kid in such a way that it's making the New York Times on a regular basis. It's uh, it's it's kind of insane. And I, I can't quite wrap my head around. I know that Daryl is not the only kid in this state that has this hairstyle. I know that Barbers Hill is not the only ISD in this state that has a hair length policy. Why this one district? Why this one kid? It, uh, it baffles me, but we definitely uh, salute uh, uh, Rudd Bowers for having pushed this forward. And uh, we hope that she and her fellow lawmakers can get with other people and help fix this uh, situation, which has not changed for Daryl George. He's still in suspension. Yeah. And Retta Bowers did introduce this legislation in the 87th uh, legislative session, and it passed this year. So not only was this a bipartisan victory from the first uh, authored by the first Afro-Latina in the Texas legislature, but she persisted. Like, she brought it back. And it was dead legislation that was now is now signed into law. These ideas of professionalism and respectability politics that we see in dress codes are informed by racism. We've already touched on this, but seeing the support for human rights, human right to express, to have the things that you have on your body and perform them however you need to. She is a supporter of human rights and it's fantastic to see that this legislation passed and that anybody can wear the hair texture and style that they need to. This protected braids, locks, twists, and knots in the workplace and public schools. Um, and we've seen DEI practices are being infringed upon um, and attacked. And so to have this legislation in the face of that is so great to see. So one of the other things that has been happening across the state of Texas uh, and across the United States is um, strikes. Everyone's going on strike. You have the SAG after strikes that have been, you know, impacting your media, the UPS strike, a near strike rather, that increase wages and put air conditioning in the vans. Starbucks workers are also starting to unionize all across the country. Uh, our number four best of the year has been working Texans everywhere. And we mean those who are fighting for their right to work properly. Now, if you don't know, Texas is an at-will working state, which means you can be fired pretty much for anything, whenever they want to, at any time, all the time. And so that's been happening a lot. And beyond that, people don't want to work at places like that, but they also want to be paid properly for the work that they're doing. And so this year, we saw the largest nurses strike in Texas history from hundreds of Ascension employees that just formed a union last year. And so they're they're fighting for adequate staffing, better work conditions, and to improve patient care. Um, and they were also met with tons of union busting tactics. Um, General Motors, uh, 5,000 Texas General Motors employees also joined the United Auto Workers nationwide strike for increased wages and equal pay for newer staff. And they won that. And there's still work to be done because uh, there are needs for a 40-hour work week 
the UAW proved collective action and efficient strategy uh, to protect laborers this year by using a lot of these tactics. I am the son of a union organizer. I know that unions are good and they make you uh, get paid really well and they take care of you and protect you from getting fired. And that's what we need these days. And like you said, Sam, uh, unions are, are good. They're great. And especially in the state of Texas, where you see more and more companies and corporations coming to Texas for our labor and having these workers be unprotected in their labor. And I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair at all. And so seeing more and more unions pop up and seeing their strength be uh, exemplified in these strikes and boycotts uh, is is really great to see. I really got a charge out of seeing uh, President Biden stand up on the side of unions in the last uh, few weeks. That was really nice to see. And it makes me think of all of those uh, rural, regular, lifelong Republican voters who work so hard, work 60 hours a week, manual labor jobs. And uh, I really hope that some of those folks uh, realize that they're voting for the wrong side, especially if they purport to be voting for their own interests, as most of us do. You vote with, for what's going to help you in your life. And uh, for all those hardworking Texans out there, if you've been voting for Republicans, you've frankly been voting for the wrong side. It's time to reconsider that. And it's been great to see the labor movement move forward this year. Um, but it's not even I mean, you can say that it's great and it is great, but it's about these like everyday Texans and workers who are just trying to improve their own lives and improve the lives of their workers and their friends. And living in Austin, it was great to be kind of like on the ground seeing like these Starbucks unions pop up or people trying to start unions in their own workplace and improve conditions because I'm sure we've all seen our local baristas just struggling because it's difficult. Everybody wants their coffee. Same thing with the Ascension nurses going on strike. Like it's not as though these workers are standing up and saying, I'm not gonna do it because I hate doing the work. It's because they need to have better practices in place to protect themselves and their work co co-workers. Progress Texas was one of uh, 30 different organizations that uh, signed on to the AFL-CIO ask this year for Governor Greg Abbott to add on to the special session protections for Texas workers. Um, currently, there's no state or federal law protecting workers during extreme weather like we experienced this summer. And of course, uh, Governor Abbott did not do that, but I w wanted to say that that's something that Progress Texas is proud of this year and something that we're gonna keep fighting for in 2024. <clears throat> yeah, I'd say whether you like unions or not, the idea that the folks at the very top of companies can just give themselves giant bonuses as they lay a bunch of people off and then put that burden on taxpayers to have to you know, fund, um, you know, social services and things for them is is insane uh, to to say that people can't organize their own labor um, is in a in a free country, like whether you support a union or not is uh, is pretty outrageous. And some crazy amount of propaganda you have to have been subjected to to think that in, in this kind of free country that we can't organize our own labor, uh, regardless of all the benefits that union have brought us, like, you know, the weekend. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, to, to kind of uh, dovetail with what Joe's saying is that labor unions have historically been the reason that anybody gets better working conditions. Labor fights for things and then other legislation that protects everybody follows. So the things that these folks are fighting for are going to end up affecting everybody. It's going to, it affects the public discourse and it affects um, public opinion and um, government action on, on these issues, not just, it's not just between 
uh, labor unions and employers. These things get pushed into the zeitgeist and it, it makes the U.S. a better place for everybody to work and, and Texas a better place for everybody to work. And that brings us to number three on our best list. That would be queer Texans. This year, we are faced with a historic amount of bills primarily impacting the state's LGBTQ plus community and support for trans Texans had huge implications. We've already kind of talked about that even here. Um, Texas has the third highest rate of trans youth ages 13 to 17 and adults over 18 in the U.S., meaning that we have one of the largest trans communities in the U.S. 120K trans Texans, to be specific, were targeted by their representatives. Um, in SB 12, which passed earlier this year, it would have targeted drag performers and infringed on rights to free speech. It would have, if not for queer Texans suing for their rights and winning in a Texas court. It shouldn't have come to that, but they did win and it's a victory for us all. Um, speaking of courts, many transgender athletes were targeted by SB 15, another horrible piece of legislation. Uh, and were banned by banned from college sports despite outcries. This was an extension of other legislation um, put forth in 2021, which did the same thing. It it banned trans athletes from sports, but in the K through 12 system in public education, attacking education and queer Texans. Gotta love it. Even those protesting anti LGBT. TQ plus legislation like Texas Freedom Network's AG Perez were attacked and provoked, literally, physically in their case. They're okay now, but it shouldn't have happened and you should be able to have your right to protest. Um, and that goes in, that goes for other allies that showed up on the ground fighting for queer Texans too, like Equality Texas. And overall, we've seen that queer Texans have continued to be forced to fight for their existence, um, rights to expression and community in the face of concentrated as assaults. And just so happy to see people coming together, even in the face of all this. Uh, yeah, I have to say is um, the mom of a queer kid, um, it, you know, living through these times uh, where legislators are targeting families like mine is scary, but I'm so, so, so proud to um, see what what the queer community is doing in response. Um, they, you know, the queer community is so good at organizing. They've done it forever. Um, they have this deep history of protecting each other and um, letting them their truth be known. Um, and so they're they're fighting the good fight. They're showing up. They're having fun with it sometimes. Um, I loved seeing all the drag queen um, bingo fundraisers and things like that to fight all of this terrible stuff. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm just so so proud of of the queer community and all their supporters in the state who are showing up every day to fight this fight and and to make things better. Um, not just for themselves and their own families, but for everybody who comes after them. And as someone who has a queer partner who introduced them to RuPaul's Drag Race uh, this year, <laughs> and I've now attended two drag shows in the state of Texas, I will say uh, drag shows, Shantae, you stay, and anti-LGBTQ content Sashay and people, sashay away. I think I did that yeah. right. Uh, yeah, also shout out to the Republicans, <laughs> speaking of, who are on our podcast yeah. who made some very lovely uh, drag renditions of uh, our GOP uh, representatives, including uh, drag Ted Cruz, which is sickening. So um, yes, uh, shout out to uh, drag because um, quite frankly, hilarious. Like, you know, just as somebody who is like, you know, cis and straight and all that stuff, um, drag shows are hilarious and you're a fool if you don't think so. <laughs> yeah, and like what Stevie said about our ability to like overcome these challenges and 
um, it, it was a crazy year for queer and LGBT issues. Um, overall, really not a great one statewide. Um, but at least in my community, we had our first ever Pride, and which had a turnout of like, I think almost 5,000 people. We raised almost $10,000. It was an amazing event. And it really shows you how like, Sometimes Republican lawmakers feel like the scary man in the closet. Uh, but if you turn on the lights and look around you, it really feels like you can see the love and acceptance in the communities that you create and together the amount of power and influence that we have. Absolutely. I think this is another area where uh, hopefully just the, the general meanness that's that's kind of sort of vomited forth from the Republican Party with too much power is going to start to turn people off. Uh, and this is also one of those things that I think, you know, just all of us have, uh, you know, a, a gay friend or uh, or a, a trans relative or, or someone. I have a gay brother uh, and a trans niece, yet great numbers of my extended family continue to vote Republican. And so that's just a that's a, a moment of cognitive dissonance that I'm hoping is going to eventually come to an end here uh, pretty quick. And this, of course, as we come up on the holidays is something we need to be talking about. You know, your vote is kind of injuring someone that you love. You need to think about this before you before you place that uh, place that vote. Uh, that brings us to our uh, number two best Texan of 2023, uh, who's another guy that I hope gets brought up at the dinner table for you this year, especially if you have uh, evangelical type relatives. And that's James Tallarico, a uh, member of the uh, Texas House, who is an absolutely terrific example of a young and fiery and uh, and strangely calm person. That's one thing uh, my, yeah. my son is all about, the idea that if you remain calm in an argument, you're pretty much going to win the argument. And Tallarico is one of those guys that is just icy cool and straight ahead with what he's saying. Uh, he's been terrific in terms of, uh, I think, very much becoming a de facto leader of that uh, uh, Democratic and Republican coalition that formed up against school vouchers. He's a, a, a experienced school teacher himself, educator himself. Uh, James also has a background in religion. In fact, I believe he is on his way through Presbyterian Seminary right now. And so there are terrific videos out there of James Tallarico uh, very calmly and kindly pointing out the hypocrisy that Christian nationalist types tend to engage in uh, when they are pressing forward for the maximum amount of power that they can you know, put together here in Texas. Uh, Tallarico is very, very good at uh, pointing out the fact that, no, Jesus doesn't really want you to do all these things that you're doing. Chris, one of the reasons that he's so calm and cool and collected is because he's a former teacher. And right. we, start, we started off the year um, with Jeff Casper, who's a Mesquite City Council member, who's also a teacher. He, um, regular listeners will remember he joined us on his school lunch break. And That's I right. just want to give another shout out to um, that episode what, when you're going back and listening to the episode about the Crown Act and the Republicans go back and listen to um, how we opened the year for the Progress Texas Happy Hour and listened to the hopes that we had this year for our educators. And we all talked about educators who meant so much to us, whether it was K through 12 or, or college. And um, I have three kids who've been in the Texas school, public school system and our family so appreciates public school teachers. We have um, some very funny children who um, are have very uh, big and loud personalities and we just so love our public school teachers who started the year needing a raise 
um, needing so many more resources and Republicans left our teachers high and dry. And I hope those educators are voting next year in 2024 for their own best interests. Yeah, I'll say that James Tallarico is really one of the probably the best messenger Democrats have, not only in his demeanor, but really just like his delivery, uh, the words that he uses and his framing. So if you're a comms person, I mean, just he does a clinic on these on these Republicans from the back mic because he flips their arguments upside down and uses it against them. And, and Chris alluded to that with his talk of always, you know, about the Christian nature of what they're doing and how it aligns. I mean, his TikTok is blown up. If you see, he's got hundreds of thousands of followers, I think now, or almost 100,000 or something. But it's a lot and he deserves it. Um because really, he's just one of the best messengers out there uh, on multiple issues. But I think he's definitely on the education piece uh, because as because as we mentioned, he is himself a professionally an educator. Yeah. And I totally agree uh, with what you guys are saying about how Tallarico is is emerging as this leader, especially in the school voucher uh, scam uh, and the fight against it. Um, and I think when we talk about our on our worst list, people like. Uh, Ken Paxton or uh, Greg Abbott or Ted Cruz, who do not represent everyday Texans and who don't have their best interests at heart, or Mike Morath, who is taking advantage of these already vulnerable and at-risk students uh, and using them for partisan politics that um, takes advantage of them. And I think James Tallarico has become a champion for these people who can't speak up for themselves and um, is doing really great in his messaging for that. Okay, listeners, are you ready for the number one best Texans of 2023? Uh, submitted by you, dear listeners, it's Amanda Zerwaski and her 21 other plaintiffs. Victories for repro justice are in high demand since Roe's overturn. And this group of Texans who filed their suit in March, the first of its kind in the nation, against the state of Texas to clarify the scope of medical emergency exemptions under Texas extreme abortion bans. They've fought all year long to return medical decisions to patients and doctors, not politicians. So they've got our number one spot and um, they've used their voice. They, as you may have heard in Chris's daily dispatch, um, did not have the protection of anonymity like the original Roe case in the 70s. Um, they put their names and their faces and their spouses and their families out there. And um, our whole Progress Texas team sends them um, our heartfelt admiration. I, I just can't even fathom the amount of courage that it must have taken for um, all of these families to stand up and um, talk about their most vulnerable medical experiences and their most intimate family decisions that they had have had to make during really scary time. And then to turn around and take that and talk about it in front of the entire world in a state that is openly hostile to um, pregnant folks and and to be going out there in that vulnerability and to be fighting the fight just takes an amount of courage that I cannot even begin to fathom. And I'm just so in awe of all these plaintiffs um, for what they're doing and how hard they're fighting. Um, They've already had to deal with their medical crises and um, they could just move on and heal privately. And, and I don't think anybody would have blamed them for that. That's that's a very that's what I would have done. Um, but they are standing up and taking those experiences and fighting to, to make sure that nobody else has to, has to go through the same things that they they've had to go through. 
Yeah, I, I think it's important for us to to keep in mind that, you know, defending one's own uh, reproductive uh, well-being is not necessarily exactly the same as as political activism. But in this situation, uh, all of these women have stood up for everyone else coming after them who may find themselves uh, in that position. And they probably, I would say 99.9% chance this time last year had no plans to be in this particular situation. And so I hope that uh, regardless of who we are, uh, regardless of what issues are important to us, that we'll see the example of these people who have really had to put themselves out there in, in, a, in a truly dangerous sort of way uh, here in Texas to to stand up, man, to get active about, you know, whatever it is that uh, that you think is most important to change. And there's, you know, there's no shortage of things to choose from. Uh, taking an example of these people's courage, these women's courage, and find some of your own and get out there and help us change this. Yeah, you mentioned, like no plans only two weeks ago the the center for reproductive rights sister case of kate with kate cox developed she only found out two weeks ago that right. her baby had trisomy 18 and these things it happens within a year you know um and the most personal medical journeys are being put in the spotlight this is a story that should be between texans and their doctors but is instead put up to the courts because legislators made them struggle. So I just wanted to quickly say thank you to the plaintiffs and the Center for Reproductive Rights for amplifying this story. Um, the courts are asking these women to struggle, their families, their doctors, to witness pain and strife and penalties. Um, and I, I, it's just so commendable and brave of them to be in this case and be in the spotlight. Yeah, anti-abortion extremists just do not represent the majority of Texans or Americans. In Texas, Direct ballot measures are not a remedy, and as we've seen, neither are the courts. Progress Texas calls on all Texans horrified by Republican forced pregnancy policies to vote for pro-abortion candidates who represent the majority of Texans in 2024. Please turn your anger into action and visit our website, revolution.org, for more information and our resource guide. Okay, folks, that's going to do it for our top 10 best and worst Texans of 2023. And if 2024 shapes up like it might, next year's rundown is going to be a doozy. Thanks to everyone on the PT team for joining today. Progress Texas will be here through this all-important upcoming election year thanks to our incredible group of donors, some who came to see us at our recent holiday parties, and some who've pitched in just once and every single dollar is so important. We send a huge thanks to our regular recurring donors, without whom we couldn't do what we're doing. Carol Orr, Alicia Deal, Pete Schenken are all on that nice list. Your donations help us continue our important work are always welcome at progresstexas.org. And if you're enjoying our podcasts here at Progress Texas, another great way to get active to, in the fight for progress is to share our podcast with your friends. Please drop us a review on the podcast platform of your choice. And thanks again for the support. Happy holidays, everybody. Enjoy and please stay safe. The Progress Texas Happy Hour is a production of Progress Texas, a rapid response media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. Find us online at progresstexas.org and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The podcast is produced by me, Chris Mosier, and our featured music is by Walker Lukens. Please be sure and subscribe to the Progress Texas Happy Hour on the podcast platform of your choice. Take a moment to leave us a review if you've enjoyed the show and be sure and tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening and for all you do to press progress forward here in the Lone Star State. We'll see you again next week.